0: Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist?
1: Who got the assist? Hello, so it's almost the end of preseason. Yay! And we're back to almost put the finishing touch to our content with our penultimate pod pre-game week one, 2022-2023. Summer specials, price pods, Tasman Theory, we've done a lot. And this was going to be the last pod, but due to some scheduling conflicts, I think this is now the penultimate one. I'll probably do something at the end of next week as we're recording Price the Community Shield right now, and there'll be inevitable you know, news, bandwagons, etc., next week, which may result from everything that could happen. I should say welcome to new listeners. I'm Tom and I'm joined by my now new-ish co-host Lucy, who's actually going to be rotated out for a couple of weeks from now due to her holidays. I literally can't keep a co-host on the hook, can I? Lucy, you all right?
0: I'm good, thank you. Yes, I know how to make a good impression with listeners by immediately taking holidays in the season start, but you know, can't be helped. Back when I accepted your very generous offer to co-host, I didn't really realise how early the season started and it was only when you asked me when I was available that I realised that I'm missing three of the first four weeks. But I'm sure you'll cope admirably in my absence. We are Who Got The Assist. You can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL and I'm at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. On the pod today, how many goals should we expect in game week one? For this, Tom's taking us on a quick trip down memory lane. And then we'll be moving on to our how our teams are shaping up and the key decisions we've made or are going to make with about a week to go. This is all to be confirmed, of course.
1: Yeah, excellent. I, I can't. I just thought that when you were saying that, your probation period must be game week six, seven sort of thing. So if you've not been around for a, a few pods during that period, I think there may be some kind of questions asked. Fail. Yeah, there'll be some questions asked during the review. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Any, anyway, at the moment, just so you know, the date is Thursday, 28th of July. We're recording this. So, some signing, sales, games of football may have occurred if you listen to this in the future. And hopefully, hopefully, the Lionesses have brought it home. Let's move on to the, the Game Week One Redux. So, it's a quick trip down memory lane, really, to look at kind of past Game Week Ones and figure out what they look like and how they sort of shake out compared to the rest of the season. Just because I've got an impression at least maybe you do Lucy, but I do, um, that game week one's always a goal fest. I mean, is that something that you'd think off the bat is the truth?
0: Yeah, that would be my completely unguided random assumption that there's goals everywhere and why would we invest in a premium defence when all you're going to do is concede?
1: did the this pod last year and we did a poll and we found that most people indeed reflected that view that game week one is a goal fest what i did was i looked over the last eight game week ones it was really really bloody manual actually it's really annoying She you have to do all the goals in the season versus the goals in one game week do an average and all this sort of jazz and on average 1036 goals are scored in an average season at least that's how many scored over the last eight seasons which is what i hear as i just said that means there are 27 goals on average per game week on average, there is, Lucy, a massive one more goal scored in game week one than an average game Sweet week. Goal pass. <laughs> yeah. Told you. yeah, 28.4 goals are scored on game week one on average compared to 27.3 on average on a normal game week during the course of the season. Obviously, double game weeks and things mess things up a little bit. So maybe we expect a few more goals, but just to kind of begin our traps our memory lane, one thing that moved the needle on this massively is last year. It was the highest game week one of the last eight years. 34 goals scored in that week, including 21 home goals. That's the most home goals scored over the last eight years. I think there was one huge contributing factor to that, which was home fans returning since the COVID restrictions ended. Let's breeze over it but. Brentford dispatched Arsenal 2-0 on the Friday. That's not going to be repeated at all this year, with Arsenal again playing on the opening Friday against Crystal Palace. United beat Leeds 5-1. There was a hat-trick from Bruno that day. Chelsea beat Palace 3-0 at home. There's a goal from Alonso there. Liverpool beat Norwich 3-0, Golden goal and assist from O'Sala. And West Ham beat Newcastle 4-2. The Benrahma train, I couldn't wait to get to it, but the Benrahma train started very well. And as did Antonio, a goal and assist. And the Nuno era at Spurs got off to a really bright start as a song goal, dispatched Man City 1-0 at home. That feels like an absolute eon ago, I think just because of how long and torturous at times last season was. But that was how last season looked in terms of you know, football itself. I mean, do you remember any of those things that jogged your memory a little bit on them?
0: Not really. The Bruno hat-trick, I remember, just because that burnt a few people that had decided to go against him. I remember that being... a a little bit controversial in that sense um especially cuz he did it off so few actual xg metrics what you're saying about the influence of crowds is probably pretty valid and i do wonder kind of thinking about how this season might be different from the previous seasons as to whether the fact we're starting earlier in the season are teams potentially going to be a bit half cooked you know are there kind of going to be things that haven't been sort of smoothed out amongst teams in terms of, you know, starting 11s, formations, all that kind of thing. Do do we think that could be an influence?
1: I think so, especially if you look at the likes of Chelsea. At the time of recording, they're still looking to sign, what, three or four defenders? And Tuchel said the other day that it's a bit of a difficult camp over there just because there are loads of players with their eye on the door. That's a really good example of the sort of team where a lot of corners need to be rounded off before they're able to get into the new season looking like a coherent team. Compare that to the likes of Arsenal, who've had a good preseason. season Dare I say, even Man United, who have had a fairly decent preseason, despite the fact they're still kind of in travails when it comes to trying to sign De Jong. I think there'll be a real contrast at the start of this season, that's for sure. And that could have an impact on Game Week 1. You may see some shot results, perhaps, and you may indeed see more goals. And I remember last year, game week one. What was really key about it, just referencing a few of those players who scored, Salah, Bruno, Antonio, the template absolutely slapped. I mean I got ninety-six points and I was disappointed. By the fact that I got 96 points, which is something you, you never say in FPL on Game Week 1. Like, If I was offered 96 points for Game Week 1 this season, I'd snap your hand off. And I would have last year, but that only kind of took me to 600k or something like that on the first Game Week. That was how well the FPL Twitter template in general did. You had those three players, Bruno, Salah and Antonio, getting double figures. The likes of the double Liverpool defence getting a clean sheet. Shimikas in our teams back then at 4.0 because Robertson was injured. The likes of Danny Ings, scored a penalty in the 90th minute. I remember I was drinking, actually, with Hindu Monkey that day and a few other people. I remember going outside because I was really annoyed that I bought Ings over, I think it was Callum Wilson, and Ings scored a penalty in the last minute or something. <laughs> and I also looked at this and remembered early wagons like Luke Shaw. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's always quite instructive to look at the players that you had last year and think, oh, wow, how did I ever come to those players? Somehow
0: we have not learned from that Luke Shaw incident and people are starting to talk about United defenders again.
1: Yes, yes, they are. Who would have Dallow in their team, eh? Oh, a bit of Dallas Who would
0: name either. their team after Dallow?
1: Dallow's humour. That's what it's all about, Lucy. Uh, we we'll come on to that later. Uh, 2019-20, so going back to the midst of time now, two years ago, an average of 27 goals per game week and 23 goals were scored in game week one. Not as many as last year. That year, Salah hit a hat-trick in the 4-3 dispatch of Bielsa's leads. Aubameyang nicked one as Arsenal beat Fulham 3-0. There were two penalties for Vardy. I remember Nick was steadfast all through preseason. I'm going to own him. I'm going to own him. I'm going to put him in my team. He's going to score. And he got 0.0 XG or non-pen XG, but got him a brace. Amazing, really. And Wilson scored versus West Ham.
0: Sorry, that Nick (laughs) impression was phenomenal. (laughs)
1: I've, I've sometimes thought of doing the podcast on my own, pretending Nick's with me.
0: That's what you should do the next time when I'm I, not here and Nick's not here. You should just mm, literally just pretend Nick is here.
1: Maybe I'll do it this week. I'm, I'm sure he'll he'll not be annoyed at that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that season, I should say, two years ago, was notable because both Manchester clubs missed the opening game week. So that's probably why there was a bit of decrease in goals that year. Was an interesting year because I think do you remember this? It was big at the bench where those people started with like Martial or Bruno or something on their bench because there were no City or United fixtures.
0: I don't remember that. Oh no, I do remember that. Was that the year that everyone had Son but went to Bruno by default and then Son went mad? I got the wrong end of that one.
1: Yeah, that was the two years ago. Yeah, after that. It's a bit crazy. Aubameyang, that year, he'd been reclassified as midfielder because he was playing left wing for a lot of people and he occupied the premium midfield slot for so many people and... Some idiot in talisman theory wrote that he could be potentially game-breaking. Uh, so I backed him heavily and those other people backed him heavily. And it just turned out that he was performing well because he wants a new contract. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was also the, the Dominic Calvert-Lewin did very, very well from the opening game week onwards. I think the first kind of eight or nine game weeks did a proper Antonio.
0: Yeah, those were the days. scored that early hat trick, didn't they? quite early on.
1: I know. It's amazing, isn't it, how it kind of all changes. And speaking of which, the year before that, 2019-20, again 27 goals in game week one. This was when City beat West Ham 5-0 on the opening day. Sterling scored a hat-trick. Frank Lampard, who was the new Chelsea manager at the time, lost 4-0, kicking off his reign to Man United, of all teams. Alisson went off injured for Liverpool, who still beat Norwich. Again, bit playing a new most on the first day. But Timu Puki wiped out the clean sheet. And that season, I got 78 points on game week one. That was, apart from 96 points of last year, like my best first game week. Because I had Sterling, I had Salah, I had... Jotter for some reason. I had Pope in goal. I had Carl Walker Peters Lucy of all people when he was at Spurs. And I also had a Jose Perez uh, after Nick wrote a very, very enthralling thread. Long-term listeners may remember that Nick really loved Jose Perez one preseason. And it all predictably went to excrement. And a few other ones that are worth mentioning back in the day. So we're getting back in the midst of time here. 28 goals with uh, 2018-19 with Daniel Sturridge and Salah was scoring. The likes of Kante scoring in game week one as Chelsea beat Huddersfield, and him getting price rises. Alan Wilson and Brian Fraser scoring as Bournemouth beat Cardiff 2-0 in 2018-19. Everybody was going mad for those two, weren't they, at that point? And wan who was 4.0. Uh, getting 12 points for lots of people. Um, so that was the year where Wan-Bissaka came from nowhere uh, to be a superstar. One more for you, 2017-18. Not that many goals scored in game week one. The 4-3 game when we, Arsenal, beat Leicester 4-3, the dramatic late winner for Giroud. I remember that game and remember it principally because I was on Granite Xhaka, I got a pair of assists that game at 5.0, and my sister spent ages giving me loads of grief for talking her out of buying him. (laughs) Yes, it's one of those, isn't it? An unknown player called Mo Salah scored in his debut for Liverpool. Uh, Lukaku braced for United as Mourinho's first game ever as United manager. This is just 2017-18. doesn't feel that long ago, but it really was in football terms. got to fly a pair of assists for Mkhitaryan, and it was the beginning of the end for Antonio Conte as Chelsea succumbed to a 3-2 defeat on the opening day of the season. Notably for you, Lucy, I had a Saints double-up. I had Ryan Bertrand and Backstabby Adini in my opening team. And that was the first game week I think we ever did on WTA.
0: Wow. I don't think I did that. that, That's not saying a lot, though, because I tell people (laughs) not to buy Santa players all the time. Certainly won't be doing that this season, though, obviously, because our fixtures are terrible. But I think actually, kind of going back through all of that stuff, uh, you did mention briefly that Salah's debut for Liverpool. I think when I was thinking about opening days of the season, I think it comes back to Salah's ridiculous record um, on the opening day. He now has 67 points in his last five opening days with 37 from the last two. So if you're gambling against him, good luck.
1: <laughs> I know a couple of people actually who are mooting triple captioning on game week one just because... It's a gambler's fallacy that it'll happen again as this happened before. We'd have had a pretty decent haul and you'll a pretty decent return every time. I totally understand I think, that. I
0: think his lowest return is eight points and that was against West Ham. There is something slightly suspicious about the Liverpool's opening fixtures, but we'll, we'll move on from that. But yeah, no, I think there's plenty of reason to think that Salah could do something big, but I'm not sure I can fall into this gambler's fallacy of it's the opening day and he loves the opening day. There's enough there for me to knock back against him anyway.
1: Oh, Absolutely. And th- there are loads of kind of wonders in of the past, which I'm not going to go into too far. Remembering things like Game Week 1 heroes in the cheaper seats, like Mahrez in 2014-15, who smashed him 15 points, costing just 5.5. And friend of the pod, FPL SWAT Duncan, fellow Saints fan Lucy, uh, also mentioned Michu at 6.5, two goals and one assist in 2012-13. Who provide that sort of survivorship bias, if you want to know what that is, go back to the Payable Science pod, to show some examples of some players who can really knock it out of the park in game week one. And I think that that's kind of something that I, I guess to move on to a few kind of little tips for game week one, there, there's always that sort of semblance that you want to gamble a little bit with that sort of individual, the Pedro Neto or something like that, which we'll speak about in a bit owning that one player that could well go off and could well be you know, a five game, ten game, maybe even a season keeper and being the one who got him in early. There's got to be some alert to that, hasn't there?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I don't think there's any problem with a few calculated risks. I think it's just, especially at those lower price points, you can see why people have a go and try and pick something out. I think it's just making sure that you don't have a team crammed with those kind of calculated risks, because otherwise, not only you probably impacting your opening scores if it if it backfires, you're also probably forcing an early wildcard that you don't want to play. So I think it's probably just finding a balance between those risks and and kind of accepting that they're not all going to work out as well. I think.
1: Absolutely. I like what Simon March said on the Behavioural Science pod about 75% being the stable, steady asset fund and 25% being the YOLO fund. If you're 100 million, I think you could probably, especially if, if you're quite a cautious manager like yourself, Louis, maybe you'd say kind of 85, 15. Yeah, or I mean, like
0: 75, that, but... 25 was definitely far too extreme. But I liked the, yeah, the premise of what he was saying was good. I'd probably just tweak it slightly. But um, yeah, I think it's just balancing it all off, isn't it, really?
1: Any other tips for game week one that you give? Uh, Obviously, we'll go for our teams in a minute and talk about specifics, but any kind of macro tips you give for game week one?
0: I've seen quite a lot of people talking about, you know, trying to target fixtures quite aggressively, which I guess is the temptation when we've got this effectively an additional wildcard because of the World Cup. Um, But I'm just very cautious about those that are planning in transfers, especially those kind of sketching out two or three moves, which... You may think to yourself, oh, well, well, I've got the team exactly how I want it. You know, what could really go wrong? But I think given that we've spoken at length about Premier League teams having more options than they probably had in the past, having five subs, which they didn't have in the past, and then you always have the surprise benching, the random injury, maybe even suspension, and those kind of unexpected flops that you might have gambled on, you've then got to respond to all of that. So I just think planning in transfers... Especially multiple transfers is probably a bad idea. Last season, I oh know previous season, people planned in that Son to Bruno transfer and missed out on Son's point. So it's not always even good to move away from players just because fixtures dictate it. So that would be another one. And I guess the others are kind of around flexibility and things. Um, Tom, did you have any others you wanted to kind of highlight?
1: No, I was, I was going to say multiple transfers. It's is one, the booking in transfers. You, you've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt, haven't you? I, I, it could be valid, especially if you're saying, you know what, I'm going to wildcard in game week six or seven after the transfer window closes, which I think is probably when you should wildcard, by the way. But if you're saying, yeah, I'm going to do that, then it becomes a bit different, but you can kind of take it the first six game weeks is a bit of a block and just say, okay, in that, it, it, this isn't really game week one in a classic sense. It's a kind of a start point to a sprint. So maybe there is some, you know, logic and kind of saying, you know what, all right, Kane versus Southampton is probably better than Haaland away at West Ham. But I think you are right in terms of, and I've gone with Haaland for now, I think you're right in terms of the fact that I don't really want to be booking a transfer in because there's so many unknowns. Like you can do all the research you want, you can do so many things with the static data we've got, but once things get moving, stuff will come out of the unknown, which will knock you for six, which will change the way that you thought about a certain player, a certain team. I've seen it so many times. If a team comes out of nowhere and starts off very well, I was thinking about kind of you know, uh, Calvert Lewin a couple of years ago for Everton. That's something he had to be in your team last year. If you didn't have the Benrahma-Antonio double up by game week two or game week three. Like, these players pretty much had to be in your team early or you started to lose ground. And if you've got those to deal with as well as having planned in transfers, it can start to get a bit tricky unless you're you know, happy to take the risks like taking minus fours and minus eights when you don't really have that many points anyway to begin with. But yeah, I mean, what do you think about this idea of attacking the block, of just looking at the first six game weeks, seven game weeks? Because, I mean, we do have to think about it. This, this season is... A little bit different to past seasons in that we do have this free wildcard setup so looking at blocker fixtures and just thinking what can I do to optimize my team for the first six surely is a valid setup and that's kind of what I've done to some extent as well
0: yes I think that's a very valid setup more so than usual I had started with this kind of weird pipe dream that I try and last till game week eight or nine and then and then wildcard at that point and it seemed like a nice kind of symmetrical nature to the season in which you know I would nicely spread these wild cards around and it it would all feel very consistent and stable which as we know is something I like but mm. I've, I've come to kind of terms with the fact that I will have inevitably needed to use my wild card by game week six because I pretty much always do even when I don't have an extra wild card um, in which case yeah it makes perfect sense to attack that block I just think there needs to be a kind of methodology and rationale behind that block I feel like I'm already hearing people say I'm going to take minus eight here and I'm going to take minus four here and I'll be changing that player and that player and that player part of it's just making sure that your fixtures look nice for the players that you have picked and then kind of working from that I'd like to kind of where possible look at my first 11 whatever they end up being Mm -hmm. as a team that if I didn't make any transfers for those six weeks would I be happy playing them for the majority of the games? Then leveraging from there rather than trying to use lots and lots of hits to try and optimise for those fixtures, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm significantly more hit-friendly than you, although there's a really good piece by Elevenify about taking hits that's made me rethink. I think I retweeted the other day. So maybe this will be the year where I don't take as many hits. Perhaps I say that now come Game Week 20. So Lucy, I've taken another minus eight and it's Tuesday. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and no, I, I think you're right. And I, I think I can't get away from this idea that I'm trying to set up my team for this sort of perfectly balanced, pretty team for game week one, which, as you said, could feasibly be almost a ghost team without the likes of War prowse being in there. There's still a couple of punts or still a couple of players which are low owned or players that I feel are worth owning. But a lot of it is, as you said, a fairly steady, constant setup at the moment. Do you think this year will be the year the template slaps again? I mean, it, it's already looking quite solid, isn't it, on NFL Twitter? Um, I, I've, I've been trying to purposefully close my eyes to looking at teams and stuff like that. I, post, I only posted a team today, and I mentioned, I'll mention it in a minute, but I actually posted the wrong one. So you know, that just shows how consciously been paying very little attention to people's teams on Twitter. But from the cursory look I've had and the kind of people sending me teams and being like, oh, this looks really similar to this, blah, 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 and then I slack. it. It looks like the template's fairly solid, the ownership's fairly solid. Is it just set up for the template to slap again?
0: It could be. I find game week one very hard to predict, but I think the template's almost more solid than ever. I mean, when you look at someone like Jesus with a 65% ownership as he is right now, or 647 as he is right now, it seems insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I think there are several players which you see in the vast majority of teams, You know, and it's not surprising, Trent, Salah, Jesus, Haaland, there are so many. I don't think it's going to be a particularly controversial you know, divergent game week one. There will be, you know two or three positions where there's a bit more variant. I don't think we're going to see anything particularly wild and there's, there's perfectly good rationale. I think there's been a lot of theories about what influence content creators are having on the fact that there's quite a strong template I don't think it's that much of an influence it's not like that we have you know significantly more content creation going on this season than we had last season I think it's primarily because they've been priced up as they have I mean Jesus I think that 65 ownership is a combination of his fixtures and the fact that he's eight million pounds I think that's that's pretty much it really
1: yeah, I, I suppose there is that. And I suppose there also is the fact that uh, I can I understand why I'm not, this isn't a criticism, but I can see why, like, if you see official FPL having their picks and things which come out with a full team mapped out. And if you're kind of not as engaged with it as, you and I are, and if you're listening to this, you are. You just think, well, okay, what are these guys saying? Okay, oh, well, look, there's WGTA Nick telling me to buy Reese James. Okay, uh, right, I'll put him in then, and off you go. I think, that's, there's, I think there's definitely a factor of that. I do have a bit of a, a theory that Game Week 1 gets a lot of hype just because we're obviously all hyped for the new season, and I just wonder whether we should maybe be quite conscious of the fact that we are getting quite stimulated for the wrong word, but quite excited about it. And maybe, you know, some, sometimes a, a sober voice like yours, Lucy, is the best one to kind of listen to. We'll get onto this in my team in just a bit, but not getting too carried away with these ornate plans, things like rotation, things like booking and transfers, things like, you know, hunting four out of 11 players just because the template is this probably worth doing, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get anything other than really boring advice from me this season. So I hope you're braced for it because you're probably also going to have to balance it out because otherwise, no one will listen to the pod.
1: Excellent. Well, I hope you do keep listening, and um, we'll take a break there and move on to. Actually, we're almost kind of on the cusp of it, aren't we? Talking about our own teams and where we are right now. I right, just back in a sec. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Cool. So we're back, and we're going to give our thoughts on our teams. I think it's time to do it. I mean, we've resisted really doing this throughout the course of preseason. I think. I mean, admittedly, we've only had a couple of kind of normal podcasts in inverted commas, but it's something that I've I've resisted talking about. I haven't really put it on Twitter this year, which is very unusual for me. Like in past years, if you followed me for a long time on Twitter, I'd have had teams up, you know, every week maybe every day kind of be like, oh if i do this i can do that and judging by my past sort of outcomes and things like that having my team on twitter and being influenced by twitter i don't think is a good idea so i decided to kind of keep it off so it's probably the first time um, and a lot of you would have heard about what team i'm doing unless you kind of follow me on twitter and saw, saw it earlier on today now we've done a price pod already I go back and listen to it if you want like a proper nuanced analysis of everything that's going on in all the price points this is more of a chat about where we are our thoughts and how we're set up and of course we might say something you'll disagree with or you know you'll be building differently and that's absolutely fine i mean this is a bit more subjective than the price pod which was a squarely objective look at everything with some opinion and this is more about where we are of our squads and something and some of our thinking i think what we'll do is we'll kind of take it position by position maybe and just kind of give A rundown of where we are in terms of who we've picked at the moment, but ultimately, of course, any advice in pre season is like, okay, I'm going to tell you to pick this guy because I've picked this guy, take it with a pinch of salt, of course, and hopefully, we'll find something in here which is vaguely useful. Before we do that, though, Lucy, when we both said at the start of the season, 442, 0.5 million in the bank, do we think we're going to stick with it?
0: I think there's more chance of 442 staying than the half billion in the bank. That half million I've had in and out loads and loads of times, but I keep saying to myself. We kind of made a pact that it's going to be four, four, two and a half million. So I've got to at least have it for the pod. So I've got it now. I don't know if I'll have it later, but I do think it opens so many different opportunities if you do have it and it leaves you a lot more flexible for jumping on bad wagons. That's definitely the ideal kind of blueprint. I just don't know if I'll stick to it. Four, four, two. I am predominantly going down that route apart from I have and I, it kind of offends my. My own senses to say it. I have fiddled with four three three with Martial, which feels wrong on many levels. But with all this Ronaldo nonsense going on, Martial could be really good value. So yes, I think four four two much more possible than half a million. I think Tom, you're probably more disciplined than me. You might manage half a million.
1: Yeah, yeah. I hope you do stick with it, Lucy. That point five in the bank. Friends don't lie, after all. We've have we learnt nothing from Stranger Things? But yeah, I've, I've done like you know. A lot of tinkering. I've gone through what my friend JP called really brilliantly the experimental jazz phase of my team. When, you know, a 5-3-2 was being played with a 3-4-3... Three, a 3-5-2, like some Breelish, Trossard, Undav, etc. We're gracing my team in and out. Um, but now I feel like I'm, I'm out on the other side now. And I kind of quite like the four-four-two. I feel like it's the most flexible way to start. So at 0.5, I've basically just been playing with 99.5 million budget the whole time. Sometimes I do look at it and think, okay, I could do X with this 0.5. But I always seem to keep coming back to kind of keeping it close to my heart. I feel like it's just very important to me now to keep hold of that. So I'm going to be heartbroken, Lucy, if we do get rid of it, that's for sure. The emotional <laughs> no,
0: blackmail might work on me, do you know?
1: No pressure. Let's just see. So the start of who we have in the nets at the moment. I, mean, I, I said from the beginning, I'm probably going to stick with a 4.5. I think I'm going to probably stick with Raya. He hasn't left, really. I've had a bit of a flirtation with the likes of Melier, uh, just because he and his backup goalkeeper... Both come from a team with decent fixtures to start of the season. Obviously, an, un- an unknown how well Leeds are going to do. But decent fixtures at the start of the season, and I'm unlikely Thanks. to want more Leeds players. So I was thinking they could work okay. Raya doesn't have that 4.0 backup. Sadly, Balcom doesn't exist now, because the new goalkeeper at Brentford means that Balcom's now in the middle, um, and unfortunately won't any longer be the backup goalkeeper for them. So it's, it's Raya for me in goal, and I did a very lazy look of goalkeepers in terms of points per 90 and saves per 90. And Reyev was the highest scorer for the 4.5 goalkeepers. And I think that's where I'm going to go. Although that 0. 0.5, I have looked at lots of you know, Mendy. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, I'm a bit worried about the EO for Reese James and Mendy that's still there. have looked at Nick Pope. have even looked at a few other characters. But I, mean, I look at your team, Lucy, and I see Edison in goal. Can you please talk me through what that is? I think we should probably stress at this point, this is... Thursday, the 28th of July, and game week one is still a week away.
0: Right. So I'm g- going to acknowledge that on the pricing pod, I may have been firmly in the four and a half million goalkeeper zone. And I was quite happy there. And I don't think it's out of the question that I go back there until it became quite clear that Perisic is going to be even more of a risk than I think we prepared ourselves for, which opened up a five and a half million pound start on my defence. And I'm not of the opinion at the moment that five and a half million gets you much else in defence. You either kind of have to go up to six or down to five. And I started playing to mainly this morning, actually, when you said to me, you should be a team for the pod, with the idea of just moving that into the goalkeeping position and then moving the, the four and a half that I had in the goalkeeping position back out. Because we discussed in the pricing pod the potential value that there is in four and a half defenders. So that's kind of where that came from. The four and a halfs are where I'll end up, kind of long term. I just wonder in this first section of the season where we're perhaps not clear who the four and a half will be. Generally, there's a there's a cheap goalkeeper that kind of rises above the rest. Whilst we don't know who that is, I'm just quite tempted with the idea of Edison as a kind of see where the land lies and divert when we play the wild card.
1: Absolutely, no, I completely understand that. Actually, that's why I was looking at Mendy then looking elsewhere, the likes of Saar, the likes of Ramsdale I've been looking at as well. I think every year with goalkeepers, the X minutes is probably about the same with the starting goalkeeper. It's always potluck with the 4.5s and maybe there is some sense in starting on the sure thing, which is what Edson represents. And I look at their opening kind of six, West Ham away, Bournemouth at home, Newcastle away, Palace and Forest at home and Villa away. I look at that and I think, I would not be surprised if they kept five out of six clean sheets there. That's already thirty points straight off the bat. So it makes a lot of sense to go that way. I still maybe would look more at the defenders than the goalkeeper because it kind of is a bit of less of an awkward sort of switcheroo in terms of moving resources around. But I completely understand that. I can see why people are looking, especially with no sort of hope, and kind of character of old in the four point fives. Why people are looking elsewhere, that's for sure. And it certainly makes a lot of sense. Uh, in terms of the 4.0s, I mean, I've just got the highest own 4.0 at the moment. It doesn't block me buying an outfield player I might otherwise want from that team. And that's uh, a at Fulham. And he's also got a nifty pink kit, which I quite like. You've got Wards from Leicester. I'm guessing that's kind of in case Schmeichel goes, or is that just, kind of just one you've just thrown in just for the hell of it?
0: I fully expect that if Schmeichel goes, they'll replace him. But on the off chance he doesn't, and there's a little bit of a price rise to be had out of it, maybe in the short term, I've chucked him in at the moment. It could literally be anyone because, let's face it, he's not going to be playing. I do like Gazanika's pink kit, though. I do do like that one.
1: Let's move on to the defenders. Cover off two of them. Trent and Cancello haven't left my team once. I know that some people are maybe wavering a bit on Cancello, but for me, both of those players are... Fairly untouchable in terms of their output. Trent, multiple 200 club member. Cancelo's first 200 club last year. Both of them haven't left my team. And I I, I think that, again, they kind of, you know, I was saying that I've been dealing with a 99.5 budget. It's basically been 99.5 minus Trent, minus Cancelo, and obviously minus Salah as well. (laughs) So it's actually been quite a constricted budget I've been playing with. Neither of those players have left your team either, have they?
0: I had a, a kind of theoretical dalliance with Diaz or Laporte, but never actually put them in. There are grounds that you could have one of the centre-backs instead of Cancelo. There might be about a million-pound difference in in what they offer. I don't think it's, it's unreasonable, but I just think sometimes it's just not worth overthinking very popular picks with a great track record, and I think Cancelo falls into that. So I can't see either of those shifting from my team, certainly not Trent very likely not Cancelo. So, yeah, they're pretty pretty locked in for me.
1: Cool. I saw Sam Lee uh, at the Athletic saying that it looked like Laporte may not make game week one as well. So that's definitely okay. one.
0: That's worth noting for anyone.
1: I, I, have, I have looked at Diaz, though, that's for sure. I've looked at having him as the second Man City defender. And I think doubling up on that defence makes a lot of sense. That's for damn sure. I haven't at the moment. And I'll explain why in just a bit. I guess Defender free is a 5 million. So I've got the two premiums, Trenton Cancelo. And I'm down to Gabriel. That's Gabriel Magal-Heish, uh, not Gabriel Jesus, nor Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, I made the case for him uh, on the pricing pod in terms of having decent attacking stats, the second highest non-pen XG amongst centre-backs last year. Nailed for 90 in a time when we may see a lot of ex-mins being threatened. Loved by FPL review. Seriously, if you, if you like analytics, do check out FPL review. I'm sure you probably know them already. And then he faces game week one and two. I mean, I did think, and Adam Pritchard made this point a few times, that Palace and Leicester, our teams are probably going to score against us. I, I can see that. But faces two defences in Palace and Leicester, who suffered last year in terms of set-piece chance concession last season. I'm, I'm, I think that that's worth looking at, especially because Gabriel was the highest scoring centre-back in the league last year. So at five, he's my third defender. You've got Rhys James at that point. You kind of stayed the course with the free. I think I'm kind of intermediate at the back, but you kind of kept your big at the back. What do you think about Gabriel? And move on to James as well for that.
0: Gabriel, I do see the attraction of. I think I prefer him to Zinchenko, who I think is another big popular pick since his move. I just don't know where Zinchenko kind of fits in a permanent role. Does he end up in midfield? I mean, what happens when Tierney's back? It's all a bit uncertain. I'm not quite sure how that works. I I think he plays most games because you don't spend 30 million on him to just leave him off. But yeah, it's just a bit of uncertainty about Zinchenko, whereas you can be pretty sure about Gabriel and you know that, as you said, he's playing 90 minutes. So I like him at the five million price point. To go to James, I'm not actually sure on James. James is probably one of my tinker spots right now. I liked him on paper kind of when the game launched. Um, I think he's got, you know, a lot of going for him in his kind of traditional role. I think there's so many question marks about the Chelsea defence right now that that's what's starting to make me kind of waver. So obviously they've had their kind of failed pursuit of Kunde. There's a potential interest in Dumfries, and in which case there's kind of speculation about whether James would move inside to right centre-back, which puts me off kind of from an attacking perspective. And then, of course, all of this kind of turbulence with, you know, several players wanting away, who they'll recruit, you know, whether they'll be much of a defensive force either. So I feel like that's probably one of the key positions in my team where I'm likely to shift. That's also another position where I've looked at Diaz Whereby Edison would leave. I'm not anywhere near as comfortable with that one as I wanted to be. So, yeah, that's probably one of those positions where I'd be looking elsewhere. And if I wasn't looking at Diaz, I'd probably be looking down at that five million pound spot where you've kind of got two. I notice you've not just got one five million, you've got two. So, Trippier's the other one. Do you want to kind of talk us through that one?
1: Yeah, that's for sure. sure. I think that those five, there's a few five millions like Gabrielle, Trippier, Walker, Ash, Dean, two who are all of interest. And I think that there's, of those, I I would probably posit that there are a few, like Crippier, if they were 5.5, I and mean, people would kind of go, oh, that's a bit steep. But they wouldn't be outraged by the fact that they are that price. And, I mean, Defender 5 is always going to be neko williams i think basically everybody is on that guy at the 4.0 you are i am i'm sure basically everyone else is i know that mark southern's on uh, the correspondence week was obviously quite complimentary about his attacking potential so a player that i'm very happy to throw on if needs be but for that fourth slot i do have Trippier in there at the moment i I don't know I, i think the first two games for newcastle are looking pretty nice with forest and brighton And I said, I think he's probably a bit undervalued. I think he could have been a 5.5. And I kind of just see value in that spot for him at the five. If he stays fit, I think he could really make a mockery of that 5 million starting price. I can play Neko Williams game week three when Trippier's got Man City, game week five when Trippier's got Liverpool. And last year, obviously, he was injured a fair bit. Has had a decent preseason, according to FPLTT and those Newcastle fans. So, who do you follow the guys? And I think he's nailed as one of the leaders of that team. I'm sure you know, your other half, Lucy, would be quite, <laughs> quite keen on Trippier as well, wouldn't he?
0: He's having so much of a kind of moral dilemma about Newcastle at the moment so I try not to bring it up but yes I think in times gone past he would have tried to insist that Trippier is as good at set pieces as James Will Prowse but again I I feel like I say that every single podcast so I I won't say it again yeah no I like Trippier a lot I think it's just the lumpiness for want of a better word of those fixtures that put me off I think the opening two look really nice and then I get a little less enthused and that's when I potentially, unlike you, I'm a bit more averse to the whole rotation idea. So I think that's probably where I fall down with that one. I like I'll him post-game week six. We said about Newcastle just getting very good. That might be where I'd be more interested, perhaps, kind of off the back of another wild card. He could be 5.4 by then. So that's
1: the beauty of point 0.5 in the bank as well, because if it that's doesn't true. work out trippier, just say, and I'll, I'll say this a few times, I'll be like, oh, I've got point 0.5 in the bank. So if it goes wrong, bye bye. I'm fine. I can sort it all out. I know I uh, will come on to who you've got um, as your kind of defender four So the playing defender at the moment in this 442. The other one that I've considered is Dallow there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And um, that uh, kind of necessitated a bit of a bit of a move around. Um, so I didn't have Neto at the moment, but if I didn't have Neto. I wanted to keep my 0.5 in the bank. I changed Trippier to Dallow. He kind of works, but as a punt, if we're kind of saying, all right, clean slate, let's just kind of get rid of what we know about players and kind of look into the new season. He seems, from what we've seen in pre-season, again, hefty health warning, it's pre-season, but he seems the the starting right back for United under uh, Ten Hag. Not necessarily an amazing player, but at the price and the positions he finds himself in, I think that's actually fairly viable at 4.5, especially because United are going to be challenging for the top six. And he's got a palatable couple of opening games as well. But just remember, price, price, price at 4.5. If there is high upside or if there's perceived upside, you can look at it and say, "Yeah, you know, he's this, he's that." There's there's nothing to really base this on. I understand that, I can see that, but they're not a thirteen point zero million midfielder. They're a four point five million defender. There's Dallow. There's also Zuma, which I who I quite like. Uh, they've got a decent one of fixtures from game week two. Actually, game week one would be uh, Man City away. So if they go with Zuma at four point five, played uh, Necco Williams game week one, maybe Dan Burn or something at Newcastle as well. As I mentioned, Trippier has a couple of good opening fixtures, but you've gone for. And uh, Arsenal's Ben White, a non-goal scoring defender, the player who is probably going to yeah be, be playing in that kind of tucked in role that Tommy Assy occupies. I and mean, X min's, yes, but I mean, why is he there?
0: He's not really kind of firmly there. He's like a, oh, I'm gonna have a four point five million pound defender. Right. Is it a oh, force ben ghost? White Yeah, yeah. There's not really a lot of thought in him, apart from as you said, X-Mins is about is about it. I feel like there's value at that price point. What I haven't quite worked out is where the value is. So I've kind of, I've fiddled with that spot quite a lot. Um, I think, as you said, Dallo's perfectly fine. Martinez has been added to the game at 4.5 as well, hasn't he, for Man United? So if you mm. wanted to go for something that felt a bit more solid, that's another option. Um, I think, as you said, Duncan Zuba, but the fixtures aren't great. Uh, I've looked at potentially Wolves full because they're opening, couple of yeah. are really nice. They are good. So potentially there. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I will have a four point five. I don't think I've really reasoned out what it'll be. So at the moment, when I'm in kind of default, playing around with price points but not nailing it down, I tend to go for the the boring X mins guy just as a kind of placeholder until I've reasoned it out in my head. So I think that one probably will change.
1: It makes a lot of sense. I think, I think it would, for me, it would be Dun- Zuma. I did say Dan Byrne, but I think maybe Dunk. would. I think That was the one we picked out on the price pub, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was the one being, you got really
0: excited by. Yeah.
1: Being quite, you know, if he was, again, similar to Trippier, if he was 5.5, being like, oh, okay, I understand why. If he was 5, Dunk, I'd be like, oh, okay, I can understand that completely. And uh, like, looking at the expected goals conceded, Bryson's defence is very good. Um, yeah. And they could step up a gear because, he and Webster are both fit and they could you know, form a partnership finally after many years of them, one or the other being being injured. So uh, they got they started to be nice the way that over six game weeks, again, looking at that sort of block, like there's maybe some value to doing that. I mean, we'll have to see, but yeah, okay, understand why Mr. White is there. That's for sure. Nice reservoir dogs sort of moment there. Moving on to midfield kind of setup. So, Mo Salah. Obvious. Both own him. Both got the Iron Man on him. I think that there's not very much more to be said about that one for now. And so if we look at price points, it's quite interesting because I've gone for two zeros at the moment. We spoke about it on the price pod and I really like that price point and there's loads of value on offer. Lots of players who are talisman for their team and players who seem like reasonable starting points from which I can trade up, trade down or across if necessary. But I've got at the moment, Luis Diaz, who's a bit of a why not pick at the moment, I'm going to be honest, probably the highest ownership at eight, triples me on Liverpool, but I'm okay with it at the price. I remember what you said on the price pod, Lucy, about you know if he was Mane at eight, you'd snap him up, so one or his replacement, and if it doesn't work, then you know sure, bye-bye, <laughs> there's other players there.
0: <laughs> looks like Josh is not going to be fit, so that also yeah. plays in his favour.
1: Exactly, and um, the other 8.0 I've got is Kulosevskiy, on the price pod, I kind of made the case for him too. I know he covers me for Spurs. I, I hate that idea. But him being nailed for game week one, same as Diaz, makes me feel better about it. I'd prefer to go with Son or Kane, but I was thinking I'm not going to captain either of them for game week one because of Salah. Or game week two because then they're at Chelsea. So I think, OK, I'm, I'm going to go with Kulu there. And Kulu himself, he's not you know, completely kind of the third choice pick. As long as the price pod, he's got very encouraging per 90 data. No winner song or came, really. But if you're paying, what, $4 million less, then I- I'm happy to start the season with him. And then there's other characters like Mount, Madison, going down to someone like Grealish, or going even further down to whatever the taste of the week is. Those are all viable things. So I think it kind of ticks out the box for me to go with Kulu, just because I think, well, oh, cover Spurs for game week one. Again, I hate that term, but I think it might be one that I want to keep an eye on. And it also means I've got that price point covered, which means that I can then move around, mess around and do other things there. So, yeah, at the moment, I'm kind of sat with two zeros. whereas you're, you're on Lewis Diaz as well, aren't you? But you've got, you kind of start to go down from there, don't you? I mean, is Diaz still the same as me, like kind of a why not sort of pick in the same vein as we said we in said the price pod, Perisic was one of those why not picks, but hey, things change, don't they?
0: They they do indeed. Um, Diaz is the one I've always been warm on at that price point, again, because I made that money point that I'd have paid a lot more for Mane. Maybe Diaz doesn't have the finishing output that Mane has, but I mean, at at the difference in price, I'm quite happy with that. Um, As we mentioned, Jota's injured, so that strengthens his case for minutes. Doesn't look like Nunez will be kind of out wide, it'll be a centre forward with Firmino type competition so I'm quite comfortable with his minutes there that was always the kind of thing that that potentially put me off him but that that seems quite secure Kulu would probably be the one that I went for at that price point if I didn't go for him I also mm. quite like Mount I've warmed up to Mount having kind of looked through his data a bit more and I know FPL review is quite hot on Mount so that's worth kind of highlighting so i don't have that second 8 million pound price point i've gone down to 6 where i have martinelli i don't think he's 2 million worse than a lot of those 8 million so for example saka versus martinelli mm. i i know martinelli is obviously more of a kind of minutes risk than saka but i i feel like that's more than priced in so i'm quite happy with that and i think i think he's fairly nailed for the start of the season with smithrow obviously having his own kind of fitness problems so i'm I'm fairly happy with that one. What I don't like about him is that, even with the half million in the bank, I feel a bit marooned there, so I'd probably have to come down that's the thing that maybe tempts me to try and squeeze in that second eight. I do think the eight's the best price point. And if you do have half a million in the bank, you you can also leap on the one that's performing. So yeah, I could end up with a similar structure to yours. I don't know, I've just had this feeling about Martinelli and I hate yep. having feelings and, and <laughs> hunches because that's just not very informed. But I, d- I just think Martinelli's good value for what he represents. So no,
1: absolutely, I, I completely understand that. For me, actually... One, it was the price points thing going with the two eights, And it's also that I'm a bit reticent to triple up on Arsenal. I'm a bit reticent to go with triple ups early in the season. I've got triple Liverpool at the moment. I'm not closing the door at all on tripling up on City as well. But I am unsure about tripling up on Arsenal just because, one, I'm a supporter. I don't really want that kind of mental baggage. And two, I just don't know at the moment, in my heart of hearts, whether the Crystal Palace game and the Leicester game certainly are going to be games that we're going to do as well as we think. I think this is a view shared across loads of pessimistic Arsenal fans. I know there are loads out there who are very laze and feel like we're going to now rule the world because we've, we've quote-unquote, won the transfer window. But I, I don't want to triple up. And I, I kind of feel like Gabriel and... Uh, jesus who uh, spoiler alert we both have at the moment i think that i'm I'm fine with two of them i think with three of them it, it starts to be a bet that i i want to hedge it elsewhere and having those eights and being able to kind of be flexible at that price point and move things around if needed with not from the bank and feeling like you know what maybe i could move something in game week two or game week three and not really have much stress about it if a player like marcinelli starts to become one that is an early bandwagon. I feel like that's kind of where I am with that.
0: The, the point about not tripling up an Arsenal, I kind of agree with, which is another reason why I probably won't end up with White in that final defensive position. To me, they feel like better attacking fixtures than defensive fixtures, which is, again, why I'm more comfortable with the attacking double up than the defensive role involved. And I think you kind of acknowledged that, didn't you, when you had Gabriel, that part of it is his attacking threat. Yeah. Because you're not not sure that they'll they'll bring those clean sheets through, which is another thing that kind of leans me slightly against Ramsdale, who I think would maybe longer term be a better pick. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I think being a bit more cautious about Arsenal makes sense. So probably the double up rather than the triple up, but then again, the fixtures are quite smooth. So, yeah, I mean, investing it to some degree sounds like a good idea. As I said, I think it's mainly a, a price point flexibility thing that I think your team has over mine which I tend to favour. So,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, copy, copy, paste. I think that's, that's going to be what happens here. That's for sure. <laughs> no, but no, I, 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 I seriously, I, I really like Marcinelli. I've, I've always loved him as a player. And I have looked at, for example, Diaz to Marcinelli and then upgrading Gabriel to Van Dijk or Robertson if I was going to get rid of the uh, 0.5, which again, I quite like. It's just that I can just imagine with that Fulham game being the start of the season, that... Luis Diaz, if he does get off to a good start, him being that sort of bandwagonable price and people who don't own him jumping on, there are a lot of portents from the past, which are kind of weighing heavily on my decision making.
0: With Diaz, I think you can end up saying that he was radically underpriced. I don't think you'll reach that point with Robertson. So I think you'll see small increases on Robertson's price. But I think, as you said, Diaz is the type of player that if enough people got on board with it and he was performing enough, he could rock it because I think there is that much kind of ceiling in him. I don't know if he'll necessarily hit that ceiling. And if if I was going on kind of the safe bets all the time, I would have Robertson. But I think in terms of people saying, you, you know, did FPL Towers get that right? He's been a bit underpriced. That's coming from Diaz, isn't it? Rather than Robertson.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So midfield five, uh, I think we're both kind of quite happy with that's Andreas Pereira. Um, I think he is the 4.5 to own, just on the basis of the herd, really. Uh, yeah. I think it insulates you against price drops if it go because uh, more people need to sell in order for the player to drop. Is the receive wisdom at least? I know a lot of people have been high on Josh De Silva um, starting in pre seasons, and the most recent Brentford lineup featured him playing that sort of quote unquote Ericsson role. So I can see why he might kind of work. Be good value, but I, I think I'm just going to go with the herd really on that player that I don't intend to play very much. But midfield four. So if we've both got four, four, two, the, the fourth midfielder I really like is where it gets interesting. Lucy, I've got a confession. I've boarded a preseason bandwagon. I've got Leon Bailey in five. It's the 0. only
0: pick you have that I think I really struggle to get on board with.
1: I, I feel like I can start the season with him. Gerard has said that. And uh, according to this on the price pod, the football manager legend may have played his way into the starting lineup in preseason for a lot of very good performances. Normally, I give short shrift to preseason, but when a manager says that, you do notice it a little bit, especially if they're as honest um, as Gerard can be. Obviously, last season was blighted by injury, but it's really important to note a little bit of digging. That day he hasn't historically had a long-term problem. He's missed 13 games in his career, for example, before last season. And at Leverkusen, over four years, he had 0.51, non-pen XGI per 90. So if you can start the season, I'm 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 not married to this guy, I'm not keeping him in my team for the rest of the year. But if you can start the season for the decent first three or four, if you count West Ham at Bournemouth, Everton, Palace, and then West Ham. He could be, again, a proper runaway bandwagon at just five if the fixtures go well. I mean, obviously, he's one that you can move down to from Neto, for example. And maybe it's just the case of me kind of saying, you know what? I want to keep 0.5 in the bank, and that is why I've got Bailey over Neto. And I'm framing the discussion around why Bailey's quite good, but... I don't mind that at five, like taking that sort of risk, because it's just one player in on my team, you know, and a very small investment that I've made. You're, you're wincing at, at my explanation.
0: <laughs> I just wonder. I was quite tempted by Bailey after those Gerard comments. I just wonder where you go if, for whatever reason, he doesn't start. You need to have him playing again, realistically, especially given that you've got Trippier, who said you're probably going to rotate with Nico Williams. So you you probably need to have that position active. Do you really want to suck up the half million you've left in the bank for your ultimate bandwagon, jumping, flexibility, triumph, and basically just suck up all of that going from Bailey to Neto or whatever five and a half is working? Because I, I feel like that's what you'll end up doing because I just don't see... Where the other fives are, like, I I mean, I don't love any of the five and a half, Mm. don't get me wrong, but I do feel that there are kind of some vaguely viable options. Whereas that five million price point just feels horrible.
1: I I feel like he's one of those where he's like one individual you can pick out and be like, That that one I don't like, but if you look at everything around it, you can see why it sort of works. And I'm completely aware that I'm making the case for why my enabler is worth it. But there is a vaguely viable case for him to be included, is, is what I'm saying. It, he may not be there, and it may well be that I kind of take 0.5 and I am a friend who lies and end up with Neto. I mean, you've got Neto, and I know that he... For me, I look at him and just think, oh, he is a classic, you No, know, why not pick? In the same way that I'm saying I need a 5.0 and I'm indifferent to everybody else on that list, so he that's so the one. But I mean, Neto also seems that one too. I mean, he's got okay per 90 stats, doesn't he? And no Jimenez potentially is going to enhance his X minutes, but I, I, I just don't I know. I hate
0: myself. I didn't even... <laughs> I, I gave a reason on the pricing pod. I even went into significant depth on the pricing pod as to why I didn't think Neto was necessarily a good idea and why you should actively consider the other options at that price point. And yet I've ended up with him again. I think for me, having kind of discussed James is like a bit of a question mark in my defence. Neto is the kind of big question mark in my midfield. And kind of what I do with one will dictate what I do with the other. It's basically, you know, I've got 11 and a half for a defender and a midfielder. How they get at like attributed at this point, I don't really know. I think you briefly touched upon it there. The the Heman is injury there was an interesting poll on twitter i noticed yesterday whether that was good or bad for netto and the the consensus is there isn't one no one seems to know yeah probably increases his minutes but probably diminishes their attack which already wasn't very good which was a reason why i said you shouldn't buy netto so yeah not not sure about that one i can't convince myself on any of the other five and a halfs to such a degree that i can kind of against the template in a way, which seems really boring and rubbish.
1: Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, though. Absolutely. Like, just kind of. I know the spectre of EO is always hanging over us for this. And I, th- I think ultimately, when it comes to this sort of pick, I mean, this guy, I mean, you, you, obviously you've got White in there who probably also could stake a claim for this but he's your 11th man isn't he in a lot of ways he's the kind of guy that if he does well you're like hooray if he doesn't do well you're not not relying on him week to week maybe that's a kind of weak way to look at it but that's kind of how i look at it i feel like with him with bailey with any sort of player looking in in the cheap seats you can just interpret the information however you need to or however you want to so the view i've given you earlier on about bailey being good you can swing it the other way to say well is very good because he's got very good x minutes his personal data is great and at 5.5 he enables this 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 and this and it's one of those where it's, it's kind of really up to the individual at, at that point kind of where you go and what it enables elsewhere and there's always gonna be one player like that so i, I hear your concerns, that maybe if i start thinking, well, if I've got Bailey, I might as well just have Josh the Silver. So maybe I'm I might as well just take a four point five. And then maybe I might just kind of say, well, I'll get a Dallo or get a Dunk or something like that and have them on the bench and have some sort of four point five defender, Josh the De Silver, Andreas Pereira, Neko Williams, 11th man sort of thing. But it kind of makes sense too. To some extent, again, you can frame it to make sense however you want to, because you can say, "You know what that eleventh man, I can just rotate amongst these players and just throw on whoever's got the best fixture because it enables all this other great stuff.
0: yeah, definitely. i I think if you can work out a kind of rotation you're comfortable with, I'm not against that if it it kind of affords you what you want elsewhere. I think it's just having the appetite for the risks associated with that rotation that you end up rotating points out or mm. you know that kind of stuff if you're happy with that I've never been that bothered about benching points but I know for some people that's like a, a massive irritation if you if you don't like that kind of thing I just wouldn't go there just just have a nice 11 that you're happy with and, I, uh... and leave the bench to rot but you know I, I'm not against having some kind of flexible system where you stick some Four and a halfs in for a bit of kind of strengthening elsewhere. I just I don't know if I can I can get excited enough about the four and a half midfielders.
1: Yeah, to embrace <laughs> it really. No, I know what you mean. I know that um like Bullet move seventy eight on Twitter has kind of said about just elevating that other the, the the kind of the core ten and just kind of rising up one spot because you're able to kind of just elevate that t- those ten players and put yourself in a position to do well. And there's a lot of sense to that. And it also reduces your
0: decisions, right? You just have to worry about those 10 and just sort exactly.
1: of... You know. Or you just got all oh, your decision every week is kind of confined to, ooh, who out of Josh the Silver, Andreas Pereira... Neko Williams and Lewis Dunk, might play in this week. Hey, that could be a thing. Uh, Speaking of uh, making decisions easier, sort of, um, let's move on to the forwards. And um, I mean, we've both got 4.5 forward in there. You've got Greenwood, I've got Archer. I'm assuming that's kind of just a minutes game sort of thing. I mean, I know Jesse Marsh has been fairly complimentary about Greenwood. Gerard said that Archer's sticking around, that Lee Johnson and Planet FPL was saying about that. Um, so I mean both kind of will get minutes I think that's all you want from a player who's realistically going to be our third forward so that's not really speak about that so I know we've both got Jesus and I think that I know there's a few people who are kind of saying well Martinelli Saka and Zinchenko are probably a very good Arsenal trio Jesus one of those that I just not really I don't want really to call it overthinking to remove him because I think that that's doing people a disservice who genuinely think there's better value elsewhere I just think it's one of those where the EO sadly, annoyingly, really puts him as one of those players that I have not really thought about removing. And I know that that is something that can be challenged. But for me, I've just looked at him and just thought, he's the apex of this sort of why not pick that I've mentioned a few times, and he's got that supporting data. There's obviously the tension if it was that he was so good because he had the most creative midfield in Europe behind him or not. But I just don't really see me not going with Jesus in game week one.
0: I can't really add a lot more to that. It's one of those things where I think he's been priced at a level which has has necessitated that EO, in my opinion. I think he would have been a popular pick regardless, but 65% is insane. I think that's been dictated by price and at a point where you know, you're probably going to have to pay for Harland or Kane. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to balance it off, but there's also plenty below him. So, you know, we're talking in terms of the flexibility of price points. There's decent options at seven and a half. If you want to go there, there's obviously also Martial, who I briefly mentioned earlier, who at seven. So you aren't stuck there. If it, if it turns out to be a horrible flop. And you also know that if it is a horrible flop, a lot of people are in the same boat as you. So I think it's it's fine as it
1: is is harlem the same um, i know by the, i'm sure a lot of people listening to this would have know the outcome of the community shield and god forbid he's been carried off injured or something or hasn't started or something like that and maybe things will change but for me he fills the same sort of role where i think if he starts the season i think he'll be the way to go and i've had kane in quite a few teams i think i sent you one about two weeks ago didn't i, I with which had kane in it yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think the reason I've kind of got Harland in at the moment is simply because I'll captain him earlier than I will Kane. I mean, there's lots of good points made about Kane for sure. I totally understand everybody who's going that way over Harland. I just think game week two, I'll be captaining him probably for that Bournemouth game, and I, I just I, I don't I, I don't see myself captaining Kane. I, I could, you know, obviously have Salah for the Palace game at home. That's absolutely fine. Uh, but I I just don't know. I feel like getting in on Haaland fairly early and just kind of having him there, I, I, I feel like it's, it's one of those things where you, you're having to reach a little bit. I've seen a lot of the discussions about why you wouldn't own Haaland. I can understand the injury record. I understand that Pep's been saying he's carrying a few niggles. But he himself, says he's fit, and if he is looking like he's fit to start the season, I just wonder whether you are tying yourself in knots to try to go without him. And plus I've got to kind of cover again is the wrong
0: word. Represent Spurs. I'm a bit confused. I think I'm quite comfortable with Haaland. I think my problem's gonna be if he doesn't start the community shield, but isn't necessarily kind of injured or there aren't any kind of significant concerns about his his injury status. Because would that mean that he was going to start game week one that they were just getting minutes in his legs? Or does that make him a doubt for game week one? I think I'm gonna be in a real quandary if he's on the bench for the community shield. And I, I can see a way that I might end up with Kane. I only say that because you spoke about kind of the idea that you'd captain Harland in game week two, which I think you definitely would if you were confident he was starting. But as you said, captaining Salah that week's perfectly viable. Mm-hmm. So you could captain Salah for the first two and then have Kane at home to Wolves in the third, where there's it's kind of a bit less obvious for kind of Harland and Salah maybe that kind of leans it back towards Kane but yeah I think at the moment I'm happy with Haaland it's literally going to come down to the community shield if he starts that I'll be happy
1: maybe that's um, a bit of a tinker point for me as well because the 8.0 who's currently Kulosevsky that would change if Haaland didn't start the community shield then he would become Kane and the 8.0 probably wouldn't be Kulosevsky and then I think that maybe that would kind of mean that almost, I mean, it could be almost be that I end up with, you know, a greelish character or something like that. Again, then the community shield and I end up going into the season with a massive, going in big at the bank. <laughs> it really does. You know, you don't think things. you'd
0: reinvest that money?
1: Maybe, maybe not. I feel like every year, as I've said, as I said in game of the first part of the season, every year I feel, feel like I feel like compelled to get to that 0.0. And I feel like every year come game week, one the game week one when it ends game week two when I'm looking to make transfers I regret it. So I think, oh, you know, 0.1 is basically 0.5 swing and why well, I'm probably starting doing this and probably start doing that. And having flexibility and if I've got a team that I kind of believe is going to do all right, as I said, I think there's a few 5.0 defenders who are probably decent value. I think those eight provide me a decent price point. Okay, maybe Bailey is a bit iffy, but I, I think that there's enough in the team to do to do a very good job to start the season and i i just wonder if that is going to be something that makes me think oh hang on a minute i maybe i just start the season kind of with full flexibility especially given all the kind of the unknowns that we've spoken about in the past that's fair enough yeah what are your key tinker points at the moment
0: um yeah so i've kind of gone through them as we've gone along so i think it's It's James, who I'm not 100% confident on just because of kind of the context at Chelsea and their recruitment issues. Neto, who I made a very strong case to not own and still somehow own. And then that Harlan Kane, depending on Harlan's fitness status, is probably the third. So there's one in each area of the pitch that I could see moving. And I'm not completely sold on Edison if the James... Kind of factor necessitated getting DS. I'd have to then obviously shift Edison. So there's also that kind of added complexity on it.
1: Yeah. How about you? Like, there's lots of stuff that can move for you. I think uh, you got your triple arsenal as well. which you said you're not. Really oh yeah. So
0: of, yeah. But... White's just that placeholder oh. that I need to decide. But you know, I clearly don't care enough about that one to have even highlighted it.
1: Poor old Benjamin. <laughs> that's for sure. And um, yeah, I think I, I, as I said, the eight point zero. Uh, the Kulisevski spot could swap if Kane does come in. I don't think i double up on Spurs start of the season. Maybe I should. Maybe I I, I could. That's for sure. Maybe I do end up booking in a transfer. I'm also still feeling like getting value out of the City defence or Liverpool defence through having two of them could be something that I'd look at. Maybe it's just being influenced by looking at FPL review and looking at kind of expected value of these players and trying to figure out that, that especially when it comes to City, owning a second defender might be quite worthwhile, especially, if, if in fact, both, because the ownership of Trent, the ownership of Cancelo will mean that a clean sheet and then he returned. Everyone's going to have that. So yeah. having, a, having a second defender may, might make a lot of sense, which may make me look at you know Walker over Trippier. I mean, Tri- Walker's the most boring pick I can possibly imagine, proper, proper sort of missionary pick but 5.0, basically Edison does nothing except uh, these days defend with that magnificent recovery pace. But he could be one that ends up sneaking in at a 5.0 just to cover me off. I just feel a bit uncomfortable, basically, tripling up on City without knowing what their midfield is going to look like, what their defence is going to look like, what kind of third player I'm going to want. Whereas at Liverpool, I kind of feel like Trent, Diaz, Salah feels like a, a, a good start point I'm probably mm. um, I'm I'm I feel like again subjective I feel which is a terrible thing to say when it comes. But to I,
0: I hate how much we've said that this past. I know
1: it's awful, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but I, I feel like I'm I'm going to be less likely to kind of think. You know, I really want to get Robertson in here. I feel like it's going to be one of those where I'm kind of more comfortable on that on that triple up. But with, with City, I, I kind of want to leave the door open. If that makes sense, but I could mm. end up with Diaz. I think there's a really strong case for double City defense. And I think time. I'll end up
0: with double City defense one way or another. It's just whether it's Edison or Diaz as the, as the second player. I do completely understand what you're saying in terms of keeping it open. I'm not convinced I'll have made a decision about who that other spot is. If it's a midfielder, I don't know if I would have necessarily decided very quickly and in which case i would have been able to shift funds around to to accommodate that player so yeah I can see why people want to be a bit more open with Man City and that's that was my primary reason against Edison when we first discussed it so I can see why you'd want that flexibility but I'm I'm just trying at this point to think about kind of easy routes to points and I'm wondering if if that's that's the kind of play there
1: yeah that that may make me think oh maybe Walker's the way or maybe going five at the back you know get dispensing of Bailey services and going with five at the back with Walker Trippier and Gabrielle could be could be the way to go we'll see any kind of last words on game week one for you Lucy
0: I would just make sure that you keep a level head and not get in a spin about someone like Bailey for example that why would no okay I'm gonna stop that um (laughs) Or Joe I,
1: or Joe, I, Joe Linton, I hear Oh, him.
0: yes, I heard Joe Linton's the new big thing. Yeah, no, it, it, he's not. Please don't look at him. Um <laughs> Yes, I think, yeah, just keep a level head about players. If there are players, I would say at this point, if there are players that you've literally never considered, i.e. Joe Linton, I wouldn't look at them now. I don't think that there's a case someone can put together at this point with, what, like a week to go, that put someone completely new on the radar. I think you've probably got in front of you a pool of what, 20 players, 25 players. I'd stick with them for now. You can kind of fiddle with price points. You can kind of flex it around. But I would be very cautious about adding someone completely new into the mix.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's sure a lot. Hopefully that was quite useful. A quick announcement that starting next week, there'll be a couple of ads at the start and the end of the pod. Uh, That's because we're joining a network called Sports Social. As always, I'm not doing it for money. Uh, It's really not going to make much. No one's retiring on this. It's £4 for 1,000 downloads, so definitely won't be paying my mortgage or anything. Maybe buy me me a beer uh, down the corner shop. Uh, It wouldn't be a nice beer either. It'll probably be like a Carlsberg or something. But as this pod is independent, I'm in the situation where growing the pod's without outside help or getting further involved in the politics of the FPL business is looking quite difficult. So I think getting involved with network to help get the pod out there is the way to go. I'm really looking forward to working with the sports social guys purely because I, and I'm sure Lucy is too, uh, I'm of the belief that this is a great pod. I'm sure, well, I hope you, you agree that I've listened to it this far. And I want to go out there really. And I want our hard work to be heard as many people as possible. And I just think the current growth options that i've got are pretty saturated so i think this is a good next step really for us i know there's a couple of ads at the start of the pod there's a bit of a pain point there it's only the pre and the post role so the pre probably be the what most people hear and um, but the overall benefits to growing the pod are worth it i think don't be afraid to let me know what you think as well dm me or something like that if it's something that you want to talk about and um, just to note as well There'll be no ads for gambling, no ads for a couple of other things that I've expressed that I won't have ads for. So it's all going to be something that I can kind of vaguely get behind. It's never been something that I've really wanted to do, but I think the imperative to try to get some sort of way to grow the pod outside of just you know, asking people to retweets, which I really hate doing, um, is worth doing. So, yeah, uh, just, just something to mention. Anyway, thanks, Lucy. I guess this is our last pod for a while, isn't it? I'll see you back again in a few weeks, swanning off to the Mediterranean. No, not Mediterranean. The Atlantic. The Atlantic on holiday.
0: Yes. So, uh, yeah, enjoy. I'll be in sunny Madeira over the deadline, so I will try to remember to finalise these three spots in my team and do so whilst sober. And either way, team in flames or not, I'll be back for game week two. We were Who Got the Assist. You can find us on Twitter at wgta underscore fbl and you can find me at lucy heinit with two t's if you enjoyed listening to this please like and subscribe to the podcast for new listeners out there if you think you'll be coming back please hit that five star rating across platforms like itunes and spotify so more people can enjoy the pod
1: yes thanks very much indeed do go ahead and do that we'll speak to you very soon or rather i will i think i'll be back next week i know we've done this one early Maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday in a probable solo babble unless I can get Nick to do, join in with me regarding some fun decisions, maybe at the Q&A as well. And then I'll be joined once more by Nick. Game week one, game week three and game week four, I think it is, around Lucy's holiday schedule. It's a very busy holiday schedule. I and mean, there's, there's lots of things. That when you're
0: married to, to a teacher, you haven't got a lot of choice. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so yeah nick, nick is kindly stepping in for lucy uh, for the game which is absent in the early preseason so a bit of a reversion back to the old days and maybe the themes will return just a bit too we hope you enjoyed this we hope this is you, and we'll speak to you again very very soon goodbye
0: oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist